jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! Gay Lords of Darkness! Oh, Anthony... What's up? Can you can can you can you smell that? It Is smells, that my pizza? Well, uh, it could be. Huh. I, I smell accomplishments and scholarly learnings. Oh my god! And competency. That means we are not alone in here. Oh my god, Stacy, these scents are so unfamiliar to me. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> What's that? Is that a specter in the attic in the in the Gaylords of Darkness HQ? No! <laughs> oh my god! Oh, oh, it's just Alex West. Oh, it's just me, guys. Oh gosh! Whew. Holy shit! This is so exciting. <gasps> <laughs> It's listen, listeners. We have our. This is our very first guest on this show. First ever. This is a, a gay lords exclusive. It is, <laughs> and I'm so honored and excited, and I'm such a fan of both of you. And I do. Uh, I hope you guys don't mind. I brought a special guest, which is my cat Church. Oh my god. She's sitting right next to me, and she had to have a little emergency surgery, so she's she's staying close to mom tonight, and she needs oh. to learn more about her heritage. Oh, <laughs> little baby. Churchy. Hello. Yeah, so <laughs> if I just randomly stop, start talking in baby talk, that's that's what that is, or if you hear munching, she's eating her very expensive drive food. But yeah, oh. I'm here, and I'm so fucking pumped. This is like <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts, and it's the best. Oh, that oh, is you're really so sweet. nice. Well, uh, if there's like oh. one person out there who doesn't know about Alex West, let me tell you about Alex West, writer extraordinaire, uh, author of films of the new French extremity. Would you say they're still the new French extremity, Alex? Would you? Still... No, no, I wouldn't. Films uh, of the last ten years, of French extremity. Yeah. <laughs> It's a much more succinct title. Yeah, like like a while ago. A little while ago. But you know you know those movies. Yeah. Inside. Martyrs. Martyrs. High tension. Yeah. Irreversible. Irreversible. Man, those were the days. That was like a good thing about the dude bro era. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There is there everything was extreme. Uh, was everything was extreme on the screen. Uh, dimension extreme. Dimension extreme. Uh, oh, so extreme. Uh, Dane Cook. <laughs> oh God, no! What? Excuse me. <laughs> Summoning Dane Cook. <laughs> Truly a gay words exclusive. Say his name five times. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, the first and only time you'll hear his name on this show. <laughs> I assume. Uh, also the author of the 1990s teen horror cycle. Yes, the new one. The new yes, book. which Stacey very kindly wrote the foreword to. So thank you again so much. Man, what an honor. Amen. 
Oh, so man. Yeah. <laughs> and co-host, of course, of Faculty of Horror. Oh. Which is the premier horror podcast, right? Like, I mean, I... We're, a, we're a horror podcast, and I feel 100% comfortable saying that. <laughs> but we're, we're also buffet adjacent. We're, we're pew buffet adjacent. <laughs> yeah. So... That's our territory. It's a horror podcast, but I I will take your kind words. It's it's great. It's so good. And literally my favorite horror podcast, because it's like when I want to get get my smarts on, I put on Faculty of Horror and I feel much more educated. (laughs) Thank you. It's true. Yeah. So you do know where you are right now, though, right, Alex? This is Gaylords of Darkness. Yeah, yes, Not yes. I know. <laughs> Listen, let me explain something. You were <laughs> drunk. I know you were drunk. That's fine. But I was drunk and on cold medicine. <laughs> oh, have you tried weed juice? No. Oh, it's spectacular. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I could handle that in a tiny recording studio, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know that I am in Gaylords of Darkness, your uh, very exclusive HQ. Um, I was Thank here, you. <laughs> you know. Yeah, here in uh, Gaylord Studio. Yeah. 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 We Airbnb <laughs> it on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing like the radio station from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. That's it. That's oh. exactly. How did you know? <laughs> okay, great. Great. <laughs> Yeah, there's room. Well, at least there's there's room for our rascal scooters, our hover rounds. But that's about it. It really uh, they occupy most of the space. They do. They do. It's, it's essentially work. a garage. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we invited Alex on, and we said, Alex, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. It's Women in Horror Month. Uh, is there anything you would like to talk about for your guest appearance on our show? And Alex said, Yeah. Either Pet Cemetery One and Two or The Rage Carry Two. And Anthony and I said we would love to talk about The Rage Carry Two. And Alex said, I want to talk about Pet Cemetery One and Two. <laughs> Is that how it happened? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so today Stacy's full transparency here. <laughs> I, you know what? I like to let the listeners know. There are there are no punches pulled. No. Um, you know, I, I feel scared and vulnerable, but powerful. That's oh, good. it's good to feel that way. And, and I know, through it. you know how I feel like that? Because I feel like by the end of this episode, I might be able to join uh, Dakota Stan. And that's very, very exciting. to me. Oh, my gosh. You know what I should say? I think, Anthony, you will agree with me. Is that actually the only reason we're having Alex on the show is because on the Faculty of Horror year-end wrap-up, you and your co-host, Andrea Subasati, named Suspiria as your number one film. Oh, yeah. There. Yeah. I, I fucking loved it. And uh, uh, and I know you guys need to meet your quota every episode. So, um, <laughs> I, but I listened to your Suspiria episode so many times because I saw the film with Andrea and uh, my partner Danny came with us and he loved it as well. And, um, and, and, but I still can't like verbalize all of my feelings about that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just feel like I'm like living in the place where I could talk about it when I listen to your episode on it. Um, but yeah, what a joy of a film. I don't know what we did to deserve that film, but uh, I'm very, very happy about it. It 
There is so much. I mean, I think Anthony and I still talk about it every day, even if it's just like one little, one little sentence that we email oh, back and forth. It's we email about it every day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's always something new to talk well, and, about. And now that you found the script, Stacy, now we just email. Did you see this line in the script? Did, did you, you see this, this you, line? Yeah. Turns out I can't use a keyboard after all. <laughs> Looks like my detective skills are all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and thank you, Alex, too, for helping to lead the way to vindicate us in expressing to the world that Suspiria is the most perfect movie ever made. I feel like the the narrative is beginning to shift like Olivia Pope would uh, would try and make happen. Yeah, yeah, I, um, you know, there's uh, less, maybe slightly less terrible takes on it um, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, uh, takes that describe who exactly likes that movie, I mean, Suspiria, and um, so... I'm just excited for it to kind of keep growing and, and having a life of its own and, and to watch and, and to get to be a part of it. Um, yeah. I like, I, I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm just going to be like, <laughs> I don't know what I mean. I'm just, it's there and I'm just so excited and I'm so happy about it. And it was like this fucking two and a half hour movie and I didn't want it to end. I wanted to like go back in time and move to Berlin and, and oh. go to school. It was amazing. I feel so seen right now. <laughs> I I do I want really to live in it. I, I want to be like like that Hellraiser pillar. And I want to be like trapped <laughs> inside like a stack of Blu-rays of it just for eternity. Yeah. Well, like I yeah. said, I think I said on our episode that I want to get it all tattooed on me. Like, well, like the pillow book. Like the pillow book or like fucking Memento or Adam Levine or some shit. Just yeah. like have the whole movie tattooed on me somehow. Stacy, oh, no one, none of our suitors are going to be able to turn us away when you have your Suspiria, <laughs> your Suspiria pillow book, and I have my Helena Marcos tramp stamp. It's going to be oh, God. choice. Match made in heaven. Yeah, that's where. Yeah, it's heaven. It's heaven. Match made in Dakota Stan. Yes, all are welcome in Dakota Stan. I've been waiting. <laughs> I've been waiting for the people to arrive. So come oh, on over. Great. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So, so pet cemetery, <laughs> which I've foisted on you. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm getting pumped to see the kind of remake or the, the new interpretation of the, of the book. Um, you know, I, I, Today, the uh, second trailer was released, which oh um, yes, uh, yes. which seemed to reveal a pretty major twist. Yeah, it, yeah, um, which I was super upset about, and I've been telling everyone not to watch it because it just sucked. Why did they do that? Right? Like, why do they do that? Here's the thing. Like, and we we talked about this when we addressed Hereditary. Like, such the strength of that marketing was that it leads you so far astray from what happens to um, the daughter in that film. Versus that that actually could have been a really fresh surprise for this reboot. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why they did that. I I have no idea either, but I often know like marketing, any marketing department doesn't usually talk to a creative. Um, yeah. so they kind of were probably just like, ooh, we need like money shots of scary kids. And so they, they just kind of mine that. 
that's that's the only excuse I can come up with. But um, I, I have a lot of fondness for Pet Cemetery, um, uh, both films in different ways. It's pr- I haven't obviously I've not read all the Stephen King novels, but of the ones I have read, Pet Cemetery is by far my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just thought like there's such funny, strange films. Um, but I just, as a fan of you guys, I just wanted to hear you guys talk about it. So why not facilitate it by demanding that we... <laughs> Facilitation by demand. I like it. Yeah. It's by weird. storming I find... into HQ. Yeah. Storming into HQ, like threatening to push our hover rounds down a hill if we don't talk about Pet <laughs> yeah. Cemetery 1 and 2. Pulling <laughs> cats at you. and Yeah. I was like, please, this is elder abuse. I'm very old. <laughs> this isn't art. <laughs> this is pet cemetery. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's weird because I watched both of them last night. And mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery, the first one especially, is one of those films that like I don't think I have a lot of affection for it until I'm watching it. And mm-hmm. then it feels like wrapping myself in <laughs> Of blue velvet dress. <laughs> oh, and a, and a little top hat. <laughs> and my top hat and my cane. <laughs> and, you know, I, it's, it's just, it's one of those movies that I love while I'm watching it. And then when it's over, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. It's, I weird. it's um, weird. And it and it's interesting to me, uh, especially because it's not the only, but it's one of the few scripts that Stephen King wrote. Um, and, and I've never personally felt that Stephen King's strong point was his dialogue. Um, so this film just like skates right along the whole narrative of uh, the book and uh, cuts, you know, some things, but it's all kind of in there. Um, but nothing goes in depth, nothing's really explored. And it doesn't help that some of the performances are kind of, uh, shitty. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Of, you know, yeah. I'm uh, looking at the child's casting department. worst child in any film (sighs) and but then she was a twin uh the girl the girls who play ellie are twins so they're two children who are very bad at acting yeah they're like you know what they are they're like I feel like they're actually 55 years old. Like, if you told me oh, that it's like Ellie was an, yeah, it was an orphan situation, I'd be like, well, of <laughs> I don't know. That kid just bugs the shit out of me. And I feel bad saying that, kind of, because it's a kid. But then every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, at least they were consistent in their terrible performance, I guess. <laughs> That's true. That's just, ugh. Yeah, she's... <laughs> There also there are also some brilliant performances in Pet Cemetery. Um, I I for one will always love Fred Gwynn, aka yeah. Herman Munster. Oh, he's so yeah. great. I mean that man. I mean, oh that man. I there's my men in horror that I care about. This this podcast mm-hmm. is me searching for a man in horror I give a shit about. Oh, but okay. Judd Crandall. Oh yeah, yeah. He's Angel. Wonderful. In my notes, I wrote, "I love Fred Gwynn." Oh, because I did like oh, he's yeah. he's really wonderful in the part. And... Yeah, he really um, captures a lot of the spirit of Judd. Um, and uh, 
um, it does a lot with, I, I think, not very much. And I think where you see some other actors struggle, I'm, I'm also thinking of Dale um, Midriff, Mid- Midkiff? Midkiff. Yeah. Midkiff. Yeah. <laughs> Dale Midriff, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Hunky Midriff, what's his name? That's what I call him. <laughs> uh, he is just like prat falling all over this movie. He also kind of seems like he's in a Hallmark movie. I, yeah. uh, and, and the film is so dark and he's kind of playing this weird like happy family man thing and it doesn't quite work and um one one of the things i've heard uh was i don't know if you guys heard about who they were originally going to cast or were interested in casting no it, it was uh-uh. bruce campbell what whoa and I, years ago, tweeted at Bruce Campbell saying, is it true that you turned down this part or something like that? And he tweeted me back and he was like, who said I turned it down? And I was like, oh, I don't know. What oh, wow. Oh, hot, saucy take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been interesting. That would have been really interesting. And then, of course, you have Tasha Yar. Oh, Angel. Yeah. <laughs> Angel, she's a surly angel, right? Like, she's always surly in everything. She's I mean, surly in Dolly Dearest. She'll take you down on the bridge of the Enterprise with just one hand. <laughs> she will. God, she left us too soon. Tasha Yar, R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think Fred Gwynn is the. He's. I think Fred Gwynn is not only the best part of Pet Cemetery. He's also like the only person who's managed to really embody a Stephen King character. Yes, like, I, with all that, the hokey homilies and all that shit, like he makes it believable somehow. Early in an earlier episode, we were talking about like those weird magical woodsy Stephen King characters. And I think you're so dead on, like, this captures that exactly, like, to a T, where it becomes, like, this iconic, like, like uh, archetype, sort of. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. transcended, like, that performance has transcended the film, and now it's in, you know, South Park, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can kind of talk, like, even I think if you say, like, oh, you know, like, in a Stephen King movie, and someone can go, like, oh, yeah, done that road there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Christ on his throne, no! <laughs> such a like like a grounded quality to it so it's not a caricature necessarily even though it has aspects of that it's got something that's very kind of human and grounded um and uh and i think the film without him and without that performance the film would be like really fucking lost oh yeah and i mean a brilliant prosthetics and makeup or not like that that achilles heel getting slashed that (laughs) that would not have the impact it had if it happened to Say John Lithgow. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the that's the version you want, where it's just Ellie being tormented? Just Gage chasing Ellie around. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to stab you. Engages like a uh, glamour spell, um, creep show Stephen King segment <laughs> of the house where it's all the plants have taken over. Yes, oh. please. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, one of the things I've kind of always come back to a lot with Pet Cemetery is is often people ask me, as I'm sure they ask you guys a lot, like, 
you know, what, what's the movie that scared you the most? And, and for me, it, it is always Pet Cemetery. Oh. Um, and that, that's just because of Zelda. Yeah. Just because of Zelda. Like, even um, when my partner Danny and I rewatched it, like, a week or so ago, um, I, I just said, I'm just going to leave the room when the scenes come up. Oh. <laughs> so the first time I managed to get out of the room and, like, put my hands over my ears and did that. And the second time, it like, I forgot about the second scene. And so I just, like, hit on the couch and uh, and had any... Um, and hid and uh, he Danny was like no and he was trying to talk to me and I thought he was saying oh it's over and I opened my eyes and she's right fucking on screen and (laughs) (laughs) that didn't go well Um, yeah the shot of her like like late in the film I think it's when when Tasha Yar comes back to the house and when Zelda is like crouched in the corner oh that crawling thing nope yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. It's terrifying. It's really terrifying. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, Alex, I recognize that. I respect it. Um, I, I just get so taken out by uh, the casting of Zelda. And I don't understand what Mary Lambert was doing with that. And yeah, I think that's really interesting because when I when I first saw Pet Cemetery, I think I was like 11 or something. And I did not know what I was in for. And so this figure of Zelda is kind of haunted me since I was 11, let's say. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And, and so it was only like later when I was in probably my, my teens or maybe early twenties that I learned that it was played by a man. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it was even a few years after that, that I actually got like some literature in my hands and I uh, was able to kind of parse out like, oh, this is why it's problematic. Mm. Um, and uh, and so it's it's kind of been this thing where I'm like my 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 personal growth and my own knowledge and and um, has has changed and altered over the years. But this core thing inside of me is like nope nope fuck no fuck no fuck no. <laughs> um, and I just I just want to fucking run. It, it's it's uh, uh, because when I when I saw it when I was eleven, it was at a sleepover, and one of the other girls got so scared. I think in that scene that you're talking about, Stacy, because we'd watched most of it, and she just started crying hysterically, and we had to turn it off. Oh. And uh, no, she was kind of a bitch. It's okay. Oh, okay, <laughs> yay. <laughs> and and so this film kind of had, had stayed with me in this in my mind in this very very specific place, and then. Um, um, and then when I was in my early twenties, I, I moved to Montreal. I was doing university there, and uh, they, um, some friends of mine, rented it around Halloween. And they were like, "Let's watch this movie. It's fun." And I was like, "Oh no!" I remember being really fucking scary, guys. And they were like, "No, it's not." So we watched it. The Zelda parts freaked me out, but I was like, "Yeah, this is kind of a fun, kind of cheesy, kind of hokey, but really interesting movie." Uh, I'm fine. And then I had nightmares for two weeks. Oh no! Wow. <laughs> So I, I just live in a pet cemetery is a very strange place for me. We've all got one like that. And it could be something completely innocuous that other people are laughing at. You know? Yeah, and for I, me I think, it's... I think Zelda, <laughs> well, for, for Anthony, it's lighting, <laughs> light fixtures. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrified of lamps. And Madonna and Dick Tracy, when she didn't have a face, when she was yeah. at the blank, scared yeah, me. Yeah, Shit, yeah, yeah. I had to leave the theater. <laughs> That's awesome. But I think Zelda really stands out for people. And honestly, I didn't know it was a man for honestly, like my whole life until Ooh. like, I don't know, four years ago or something. I thought it was what? a man. I thought it was Amanda Plummer. <laughs> 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 and then I, 
finally looked it up and I was like, oh, that's weird. I wish it was Amanda Plummer. Right? Yeah. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, so it's, uh, I, I think it, it kind of, it's this film and it just, it encapsulates all of these things. Um, some good performances, some really hokey performances, some weird plot stuff, some, you know, for some people, some really terrifying imagery. Um, but, but I think it, it's actually very well directed and it has this really kind of quality to it um, that it almost doesn't deserve to have. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I enjoy going back to it or the parts of it that I can watch. That's fair. Mary Lambert, like, doesn't, I mean, I wish she was still, what's the last thing she did? Yeah, has she, has oh, she done uh, much? Her, her last film um, that I, I think I, when I checked, was uh, uh, Urban Legend 3 Bloody Mary. Oh, oh wow. Really? That mm-hmm. one? I mean, like, she started out doing uh, Madonna videos. Yeah. Wait, when, do, you when know, was, do you know which ones? Uh, she did Like a Virgin, <gasps> uh, Borderline. Like most of the ones where it's mostly just Madonna, like rolling around on the floor. <laughs> or, yeah, Madonna in a gondola in Venice. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I went to it when I lived in LA. They There was a screening of Pet Cemetery, and Mary Lambert was there. And I went and she like won't talk about the Madonna videos. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure partially it's because Madonna was probably an asshole. And oh yeah. Also because that's kind of people just want to know about Madonna and not yeah. Mary Lambert. But I was like, it took a lot of restraint for me not to run up there and be like, you know, breathe in my face. You got some Madonna air in there still out there. <laughs> Blow it in my face. Tell me about Madge. Tell me about Madge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Pet Cemetery was like huge when it came out. It was, you know, a box Ooh. office hit. It's it's like a. I wrote down in my notes like it's a classic that's fine. And I think part of that is, like, I don't remember how much I like it until I'm watching it. And that's the thing. I think most horror fans would consider it some kind of a classic, even though it's not, it's not up there with, you know, the other classics we talk about, your Texas Chainsaw Massacre or whatever. Yeah. You know, but Mary Lambert, like, should have a better career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, it seems like it's one of those, I mean, a lot of the, like, 80s horror films honestly aren't that scary right uh early 90s horror films are pretty terrible and not scary right but this one sandwiched right in like 89 it actually has some like terrifying moments it's mm-hmm. goes it veers into the terrifying a lot mm-hmm. um which is kind of impressive that especially in that era it w- was so successful at that yeah it's got a lot that i think sticks with the viewers from zelda Judd's death, especially, I always forget that Gage is like, ah, and like fucking oh. takes a big bite out of him. I totally <laughs> forgot he like eats his neck. Yeah, it's like this movie's got some crazy stuff in it, you know. Ooh. I don't know. Maybe I feel like I don't give Pet Cemetery enough credit, even though I love yeah. it when I watch it. I think I remember it being a lot hokier than it is. Um, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely hoax aplenty, but I remember it being hokier than it is. And then watching yes. it, it's like it is. It's really like fun and like okay, I this is a lot more um, influential to me than I realized before. And also, Judd is perfect, and can he be my grandpa? <laughs> <laughs> Judd is perfect. They are the worst parents. Oh, they're so bad. Of all time. They should be not allowed to ever buy a kite again. Yeah. No. No, they're terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible parents. And then watching it, I'm like, hmm, 
Is this about like the fact that we just like humans can't cope with their mortality? You know? Oh yeah. Like for all the platitudes, for all of Judd's like, oh, the dead speak and it's okay. It's just another blah, blah, blah. And for all of Dale midriffs, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, talking about all the different religions and what you think happens when you die. It's like, ultimately I think as humans, like we're not equipped to cope with the fact that we all die. Mm-hmm. No. And I, and I think there's also another kind of like, there's definitely um, uh, a kind of Frankenstein um, element to it. Um, but also very much like the monkey's paw, like these horrible oh, yes. that come back to bite you in the ass. And, and I think what's interesting about making, um, the character of Lewis, the the um, patriarch, a doctor, is that his his whole job is understanding you know death and trying to prevent it, um, but but sometimes you can't, and that's the natural course of things, as you see with um, Victor Pascal, and uh, um, and then when he is faced with death and his immediate family, he can't hack it, mm-hmm. he can't bear it and he can't even bear it and when his uh, daughter's cat dies because he doesn't want to disappoint her he doesn't want to be you know the failure that his in-laws think he is even though he's a doctor at like a university um and uh so i always thought like that kind of central conceit of the book was so interesting because it's about our failures and intimacy and and what mm. we do for, for that one more chance that one more second and uh like who hasn't thought about that oh sure yeah. I've been having a midlife crisis for like 20 years now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right? Like who hasn't? I mean, once the I think once, you know, the veil is lifted and you mm-hmm. encounter death, I don't know, that's just me. I won't go into all that, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, like once you encounter death, like on a personal scale, whenever it happens and it's like you realize that we're all mortal and that mm-hmm. everybody is gonna die and you're and gonna time die. is ticking time is ticking baby and that's terrifying it really yeah. is yeah it's interesting watching this and thinking a lot about grief too um the grief like the the sort of midsection of the film after i think well it's kind of towards the middle when uh gage passes away mm-hmm. is uh actually profoundly sad and like a really fleshed out depiction of grief Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I was like, oh, I never realized like how much I think even Hereditary might borrow from this movie and this story. Yeah. It was really surprising to me to see that really uh, fleshed out and how that echoes in other horror. Yeah. Yeah, the Gage death scene is still really brutal. Funny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Gage. It's not Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really brutal. It is fucked up. And it does kind of comes out of nowhere like you know something has to happen they've set up the pet cemetery they set up this seemingly perfect life this family has and okay the cat's kind of fucked up now but you know <laughs> waiting well actually in this case you were literally waiting for the other you know baby shoe to drop uh, and, <laughs> and uh and it's uh it's just it's this guttural like like thing that happens when you're like, oh, something needs to happen to push this narrative forward. And then you get this horrible thing that happens and you're like, oh, well, I'm a terrible person for wanting this story to make <laughs> Yeah. And, and Dale Midkiff finally does a little acting. Uh, <laughs> a little. <laughs> slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's the best part of the movie. For me, it's really good. <laughs> and that poor truck driver. Ugh. You just wanted to listen to the Ramones and just... yeah. Mm, he was on Weed Juice. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. That's brilliant. I mean, like talking about the direction though, and Mary Lambert's choices, like that was a brilliant scene to direct and to build up. Like we're very aware of everything that's going to happen. And the second he turns around from Gage, you you know exactly what's coming up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, thank God, like one, I thought it was really sweet that they invited um, next door neighbor grandpa to have a picnic with them. Like, it's just, I just love seeing him sitting there at their little last supper outdoor interior illusions <laughs> lounge picnic table. But also, like, thank God they invited him, because who else is going to supervise these children? Well, no I mean, kidding. up until the point they run into the road and get hit by a semi. But... No, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's the one that calls it out. Yeah, he's like, don't let him go on my road! <laughs> lost, lost! <laughs> get the but, baby! <laughs> also, like, the the total, like, failure of the patriarch, like, the, the um, the, uh, what is that? Like, his just complete it's almost like a, a self-emasculating uh in terms of how he just totally fails in catching his kid in time and it's like yeah. oh man you can only imagine how that guy feels in that moment they must have there must have been a banana peel on the field because he slipped and fell man of all the rotten luck and it's like to to one have the death of an infant or toddler whatever on your hands and then two to to have to like live up to that in front of two perfect queens aka fred gwynn and tasha yar like (laughs) i mean wow no wonder he makes some poor choices after that but he really does Right? Like, I get it. I mean, once you start this chain, you might as well just keep the chain rolling. Right? Well, I mean, That's what Fleetwood Mac said. That's, what Fleet, that's that Fleetwood Mac song. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have one dead thing, that other dead thing will probably need it. Like, they'll need a friend, so you need, need another dead thing. And it's just, yeah, it's like self-perpetuating. It's, it's, um, it's pretty tragic and it's you know i think you feel the way this family becomes so isolated from each other not only like physically because they all kind of fracture and split off but um you know in the book it's really prevalent but in the film they they kind of hint at it the way this force of the pet cemetery is trying to keep them apart so it can like it you know get more out of lewis and get him to you bring it more bond Mm. and all that yeah i mean they were barely holding on before all this happened to me, like they just, I don't know if it's just Denise Crosby's acting and Dale Midkiff's acting, but it's like these people can hardly tolerate each other <laughs> as it is. Wait, know? what are you saying about Denise Crosby's you, acting, Stacey? I said what I said. Listen, when she wears that polka dot, she looks so good. <laughs> also, her recounting the story of Zelda, like that was some, that I was thought really that was brilliant good. acting. So, anyway, I just had to speak up for the polka dots. Okay. They just feel like they, they feel like two people who have never had sex. Yes. Yeah. Like there's yeah. no chemistry between them. There's no like, you know, like when you see a couple and they're fighting, but you're like, yeah, but they love each other and they'll probably figure it out because there's a connection there. There's something. And uh, and yeah, I just I feel so cold every time I, I watch them kind of interact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I don't think it helps that Dale Midriff 
Kiff has just, just zero. He's like a, a charisma vacuum. It just kind of all like a <laughs> really drops in on itself. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's so it, it's again it's kind of tonally a strange film like that, and I think just mm-hmm. performances. Um, but yeah, yeah. They're both so hot, though. <laughs> They're both well, so hot. I think he proves that like hotness and charisma are separate entities. <laughs> Cuz he's like he's this really good looking but he just has I don't know. It's you might as well just be looking at a picture of him the whole time. Or or a painting of a a baby with the dress or and a, a top hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that blue dress. See, oh. he never wore that getup, which is what I was waiting throughout my rewatch at the end of any time someone comes back from the dead they should be wearing that outfit they really should like church in a little little (laughs) dress and a little top hat (laughs) i have my church on my lap right now you look so cute in that (laughs) oh yeah put on the top hat little baby oh you're little trash kitty oh god that painting like who i mean Jesus Christ. Like, it's not fucked up enough that they leave Tasha Yar alone with Zelda when she's like eight. And then yeah. those weird neighborhood kids when Zelda's dead. And she goes right outside of those weird Why kids. Why are they all hanging out in her house? <laughs> what? Was there an open house happening? <laughs> like, staring at her. Like, you know it's a crazy house with that painting on the wall. Yeah. But I mean, that really does seem like every uh, childhood, like worst fear sort of comes alive. You run down from your weird, what? She she just had killer scoliosis. Was that it? Spinal meningitis. Spinal meningitis. Oh, which is, well, well, okay. Now we're going to bring in <laughs> science to the equation. But anyway. Uh, uh, pardon me, the molecules. <laughs> I bind ye, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think it's it's interesting way to approach it because because, I mean, I've never seen anybody with spinal meningitis, and I'm sure their body is twisted, but it's like yeah. the child's interpretation of mm-hmm. this. And coming, coming from that into then running downstairs, and they're all going to laugh at you, and there's yeah. children all in, lining yeah. the walls, like, stage, yeah. staging your house for house hunters. Like, what is happening? <laughs> Oh, I love it. It's so weird. Wait, I'm just okay. I'm having a thought right now. That painting. Do you think Rachel's parents bought it at the same like yard sale that that haunted lamp from the Amityville film is from? Oh my god! Yes. You know what? Your fan theory is blowing my mind. It's all part of the Friends shared expanded universe. <laughs> It has to, I mean, that painting has, the fact that, here's the thing, is somebody, like, the production designer found that fucking painting and was like, okay, look what I got. And Mary Lambert was like, you yes. fucking did get that, didn't you? And then it just has, <laughs> then it becomes a motif, you know? I mean, I, I hope they found it. I hope someone wasn't like, I'm just going to bring this beautiful painting of my son to <laughs> My grandmother's portrait. Yeah. <laughs> this has been in the family for generations (laughs) my my ultimate goal in life you know the only reason i want to um make work make art even or be attain any degree of success or or capital of any kind is so that i can purchase the painting of tilda and um 
uh, Madame Marcos or yeah. Marcos. <laughs> yeah, the pa- the painting of Blanc and Marcos that Tilda's partner made for Suspiria. I'm gonna one day purchase that and then purchase the Pet Cemetery painting. Oh my god! And I will put them next to my boudoir in my boudoir even. Mm-hmm. And suitors, suitors will just line up. God. I'm already like, there. Yeah, yeah, run from the house screaming in my nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Man, so here, here here's the it. thing. The first movie, as much as I love Judd, as touching as his scene is where he comes in and he feel he confesses that he feels like it's all his fault. Motherfucker, it is all your fault. Yes. It is. Like I yeah, know you, you didn't you didn't want Ellie to be sad about her cat, but you know, it's literally all your fault. But you don't need to be a tour guide to the Indian burial ground. Exactly. Well, there's this thing in the book, and and they don't really do it in the film. I'm curious to see if they do it in the new one, where they talk about how you know once the pet cemetery or the what's beyond the pet cemetery, like quote unquote, touches you, it kind of stays with you, and it's always kind of like it's this thing that's pulling you back. So it's like judging mm. it involuntarily. Um, oh, okay. and, and so that's like that's so and, they, and Stephen King actually writes about it like very beautifully and creepily in the book and um, so yeah when you, you kind of look at this film which is like a, a surface level look at the book it just it actually does feel very silly because it's like this old man like why was that house empty why did that house stand empty for so long like was the real estate agent like ah oh, yeah this other family lived here but you know that old man across the street just started telling them <laughs> stuff and it got <laughs> <laughs> you know, the children kept dying by the road. And... <laughs> oh god! I mean, it, it's it's also a little jarring when you realize, oh, it literally is about a haunted Indian burial ground. <laughs> like you forget that that's a trope for a reason, yeah. AKA a because they like movies have actually used it. That's crazy. AKA all of North America and South America. <laughs> yeah. I was Let's surprised to real. see it pop. I was wondering last night when I was watching the original, like what are they going to, are they going to have that in the remake? And according to the trailer I saw, they sure are. Yeah, yeah, they do. And are they going to attribute it to an actual tribe that exists in that territory? <laughs> it's interesting. I don't know what to make of the Indian burial ground personally as like the resident angry native on the, in the cast here. Um, but I will point out, and I, I thought this was hilarious. I was at a um, a Native Arts convening and actually we had a woman that that comes out and does like focus testing around um native image and like representation and she does it with a lot of like white and more like european um people and the things that they found in this like weird focus testing was that the a shocking amount of americans don't know that natives still exist but the one thing they can attribute to indians as a culture is that um indian burial grounds are are reality and that people will be haunted by them oh my gosh so this movie has done something for visibility i'm not sure what (laughs) (laughs) wow like just make it a bad place yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like Amityville. Like it's like Amityville. Yeah. There was a weird room in the basement and everything, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But at, just... at the same time, you know, the United States is an Indian burial ground and it is haunted is and we're suffering the current effects of it as we've seen in our administration. Well, that's true. Or I mean, 
like, is this, like, are the creeds, like, are they good people, do you think? Because maybe this is just, like, good retribution. That's true. I mean, Tasha Yar is the best person. (laughs) Okay, on a scale from, like, Tasha Yar to Ellie, like, we have to find a medium. (laughs) To Ellie? Um, well, I wonder why uh, Tasha Yar's parents dislike Lewis so much. I mean, I think he's a pud, but on the surface <laughs> of things, it's like it's, he's it's, he's he's, he's, he's like this good-looking doctor, mm-hmm. you know. <gasps> I just that... what? Oh, I've just realized Ellie is the stain that um <laughs> that Tasha Yar smeared on the world. <laughs> So she does deserve it. She does deserve it. She yeah. Does. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not a great trope. It's, a, it's, I think, you know, looking back when you can see it in things like Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Um, other films like, like, you know, kind of from this era in particular, it seems like, um, it's, it, to me, it's a very lazy trope. And yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, you, it, it's hard, I think, to say as a filmmaker or storyteller or wherever, whatever you're doing that, like, don't go there, it's evil. Because everyone's like, why is it evil? And then you have to be like, oh, it's, um, you know, and if they say, like, Indian burial ground. And I'm like, I know, like, you know, I, I, it was 89. We're very far away from, you know, right. good vocabulary that everyone should be having right now. But it's so, like, it's so lazy. Because, <laughs> the First Nations resting place. <laughs> indigenous resting place i don't know yeah (laughs) it's so so lazy because they can use it with a shorthand um and that's that's always kind of it has a little like twinge for me where i'm like oh yeah well it's like it's it's so othering Mm -hmm. that it becomes shorthand for like a possessed evil portal to some kind of evil. It's like, oh, yeah. it's an Indian paragraph. Oh, oh, yikes. You know, that's. <laughs> that was me chewing my nails. Because <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> oh, I could see it. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, I mean, I guess in the trailer it says that, like, the Indians split because they knew it was bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is kind of mentioned in the film, like, the ground is sour. Yeah. Um, But it's still, like, it just, I think overall the story didn't do enough. So we'll see what the... what the new adaptation does but yeah I yeah know. i mean and that that anytime that they filmmakers work with these themes they that tends to be a common stumbling block like even i loved um have either of you seen bone tomahawk yes yes i absolutely love that film um but even in that you know and i and i loved it and i i loved the concept of those like scary descent style natives who were just like the tribe that went bad yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> But even in that, like, it's almost not enough to still have, like, the native character that shows up and is like, oh, well, those are, they're different than us. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so there's there's a problem there. But at the same time, 
because so much of like I'm in that place too where I'm like well so much of natives and and how most Americans and people look at us is through filtered through these years of misrepresentation and this like dream of the wild west and so like to some extent it's a trope that doesn't of to uh, of like an imagined people mm-hmm. so it's almost as folklore it kind of can get by but it is just so problematic and tr- it's just tricky yeah yeah but ultimately i mean ultimately tashi is perfect and i won't allow <laughs> anything with her you gotta see Dolly Dearest. I know I do. I'm failing She's at life. Greatest work. I believe it. Wait, greater than when she had to wrestle the um the other lady to the death or in on that planet. <laughs> yeah. I feel Or confident. when she left that holocron and Data cried. <laughs> so sad. But I do think there is something fascinating in here too about like sort of the failure of the of the old idea of the American like nuclear family. Yes, um, for sure. And it's just like crumbling collapse and that like attempt to like go back to nature and have that like pastoral American life that is no longer really possible. Um, yes. It's there's something really lovely in there that's built into this film that I think really resonates with people. So yeah, which I what do you guys think about the housekeeper? I think her stomach hurts. Her stomach hurt. It's just so <laughs> random. Like, I remember reading the book a long, long time ago yeah. and how she was, there was more of her in the book and you kind of got it. But here it's just sort of, is she just a contrast to this nuclear family with her? Mm. Like, I'm not going to marry a doctor. I'm not married to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wash your underwear now. You know, <laughs> like, you know, it's just, and then she hangs. And she, like, she hangs herself, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I, it's I don't know what to strange. make of her. Yeah. It yeah. almost felt like she didn't have a place in this story. Yeah. Like maybe there was more and they cut it out or something. It's just sort of. Because uh, she's really, um, you know, in, in going, like I, I reread the book this summer and um, it, she's kind of like uh, the stand in for Judd's wife in the book, Norma. Yeah, because uh, Judd has a wife, right? I remembered yeah, that from the book. In the book and, and she's quite a big part and it's her passing that starts facilitating all this talk about death and she'd been really ill. Like she'd kind of fallen ill and then, and then passed away. Um, and so they wrote, or Stephen King, I guess, or someone wrote Norma out and they needed someone to die of a kind of natural, you know, mm. life cycle and uh, to kind of spur this conversation and facilitate the conversations that needed to happen for uh, the story to kind of make sense thematically. So they were like, Oh, let's make this sad single woman, um does everyone's laundry better yeah. so easy way out yeah she's such a bummer man she really harshed my mellow yeah <laughs> <laughs> keeping up that youthful vernacular stage <laughs> 23 <you> do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah okay and i will say Alex also wanted to talk about Pet Cemetery 2. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw Pet Cemetery 2 when it came out in theaters, having, I mean, you know, because Pet Cemetery, the original, was a phenomenon. It's scary. People talked about it. Zelda, 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 right? So, Pet Cemetery 2, let's go see it. And it was like, what the fuck did I just watch? It's just, <laughs> it's so 
different it's i mean it's just its own thing and it's so unlike the first film that i was like well i'm never seeing that again so i have to say <laughs> when you said i really want to do pet cemetery too i was dreading it like <laughs> last night i watched pet cemetery and i was like oh no it's time <laughs> The executioner after, opens yeah, the door. After prom night three, now I must watch Pet Cemetery two. What if I I try to be a good person? You brought this hell on yourself. I Stacey. brought this hell on myself by starting this fucking podcast. What have I done to myself? I was really dreading it, and so, but then, you know what? I what? had a good time. <gasps> yeah, it is. I really did. Funny so happy i real, i genuinely did like i pinpointed the moment where it goes off the rails and you're like something's yes. not right here it's yeah. like when you walk into a house your house and it's dark and this is pretend you're in a horror movie right and oh. yeah you're, you're <laughs> your room's all dark and you go in there and you're like paul there's someone in this room paul there's someone in this fucking room like you know something's wrong <laughs> i know in Pet Cemetery 2, like where that happens, right? Mm. And the movie is cuckoo crazy. It's bananas. It's bananas, yes. But it's but I had a good time. Yeah, like how it, can you not get on board with like sexy topless woman with a wolf's head? Oh my god. <laughs> okay, here's my question. Because yeah. That sequence in particular, I'm like jumping way ahead, but you said it first. So that sequence in particular, he's like, he's like dreaming and it's like a sexy dream, but then it turns into reality and he's like actually fighting undead Zowie. So I'm like, was he making out with a dog and did the dog take its top off? Oh. Yes, yes. It if is. only she had like okay. eight, eight boobs, we would know for sure. <laughs> yeah, like that dancer in Jabba's Palace. Yeah, <laughs> she only had the two. Here's the thing: is that you know that out there somewhere, if they're listening to this right now, I apologize. I do not mean to offend, but you know, somewhere out there, like some twelve year old saw that, and it spurred on like a lifetime of furry, <gasps> shit, right? Stacy, like they got their first boner or something when they were watching Pet Cemetery two during that scene, and this like is that's the most exciting news, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know it. You know I'm right because oh. I'm talking about myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure there's so many roots for an entirely twisted generation in this film. This oh, is why yeah. millennials are killing all the industries is because of this film. <laughs> Because of Pet Cemetery too. Yeah. This movie, what an odd duck. I, I like almost still don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Um, it's so bizarre. It's super fun. It's completely different than the original. And also stylistically, like, did Mary Lambert direct this film? It feels like it directed itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like like a like a computer. Like, like, um, did you see that? That Christmas special with John Legend and Chrissy Teigen that they did this last winter. No! Oh, stop everything. (laughs) It's called A Legendary Christmas with John and Chrissy. It should be called A Legendary Christmas with Chrissy and that's it. But um, (laughs) it's as if aliens came down and created a computer that would make like the ideal holiday special and it just it has no human involvement in its making it just doesn't make any sense (laughs) and that's sort of like this movie but in a good way (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I I kind of fell in love with this movie um, what, um, during um, several Octobers, and uh, this is you know when I was either staying with my parents or we still had cable TV at some point, and AMC would do its Beer Fest every October, and I just turn it on and put it on whenever I could. And, um, and they would, there was a few years where they were showing Pet Cemetery to a lot. So I kept seeing it in chunks and I was like, actually, this is pretty fun. Like there's some really like good performances. It's totally bananas. Um, it, it just, I, I was always kind of intrigued by it. And then I just sat down and watched it and I was like, this was fun. It was super weird. And then I just kind of kept going back to it. I've developed the most insatiable crush on Anthony Edwards in this film. <laughs> like, I can't even describe it. I'm sorry. It. I can't describe it. I, I'm so sexually attracted to him in this film. Wow. In my notes, I wrote, is he sexy Ned Flanders? <laughs> he is sexy Ned Flanders. He is. He's so, like, I think, like, reasonable and, like, responsible and, like... <laughs> responsible oh just give me a responsible veterinarian any day he's a small business owner (laughs) i just don't know what it is it's just like like, you're in a safe place you could talk about it i just i'm just kind of like i'm actually fanning myself right now thinking oh wow a lot of like chunky knits (laughs) <laughs> the mock turtleneck did the mock turtleneck yeah yeah, yeah. oh my god like, no wonder that like housekeeper wants to fuck him oh she does yeah she does okay now here's here's a question who would you rather housekeeper or mom oh the mom 100 percent. i was like fuck mom's hot mom's a I, babe did stacy we since we just watched these other films did you get mary lou vibes from the end when she's on fire on the bed yeah <laughs> when she was like oh i'm melting yeah and then she's <laughs> yeah she's suddenly melting and then she's screaming dead is better dead is better yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah she's definitely mary lou adjacent for yeah. sure yeah yeah the mom's a babe definitely yeah um and and i really like you know as i've kind of gone back to it and i you know it was a guilty pleasure and now i just think it's a really fun movie that i enjoy and i enjoy sharing with people um but i really like the way it's not kind of a continuing story of the creed family it's more like the creeds are like this uh like urban legend in this small town and um, Mm -hmm. um and that there are these kind of threads of the original film that kind of trickle over but it's you know definitely like a 90s like grunge movie with like the soundtrack and the flannel and oh so much guitar so much moody guitar i just that's the moment where it goes off the rails is zowie's death scene Uh, oh which could be really touching you know a dog like a little boy's dog gets shot and he cradles it as it dies like that's some heartbreaking shit and then it's like ah you're gonna die like some song comes and you're like this is not appropriate music for this at all and yeah then... with a with a cute clearly living fluffy dog with ketchup on it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and then like just the music cues i think are what i mean i'm not necessarily complaining because it's like i'm not going to complain about has has 
like L7 on their soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. But but the music cues are consistently jarring. And I think if it just had regular old horror movie music, it probably wouldn't have quite as dodgy of a reputation as it has. The I mean, guitar definitely shifted how I responded to everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Clancy Brown is still off the rails and doing his own thing. No oh matter my God. what. I love oh, it. Clancy. Like, he's doing his own him. thing. But I think it's the music that's the real culprit for this the one, reputation. The one thing I will say about that music is, like, I was so sh- surprised to see Elliot Goldenthal did the music for the original. Um, Julie Taymor's partner, who scored most of her films and, like, did the score for, like, Interview with the Vampire and Frida and... Um, I love Elliot Goldenthal, but like by the end of it, I don't I don't think I can really summon any of the score from the original, like just in my head. Whoa. But no, I, I was will... just thinking, did it even have a score? Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah, right? Like I don't remember any music, but it's like by an Academy Award nominee or winning composer. I mean, I um the uh, Ramon song Pet Cemetery, but Oh yeah. yeah. And yeah. Then in this one, though, like, there's this awful guitar, and it's like, the the music is totally different. But I will say that, like, that, like, weird, like, anytime they go to the burial ground, and there's, like, that weird, like, kind of uh, trancey drum beat that sort of comes up, that song, I I was, like, so into it. It's so catchy for me for some reason. (laughs) I like how they have, like, the pan, I don't know if it's pan pipes or what, but it's, like, that's how you know it's a native burial. It's like a... Like yeah. that kind of thing, so you know. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Burial ground. Yeah, the native adjacent <laughs> pan pipes. <laughs> yeah. Which is a service I offer at all my hand fastings that I officiate. <laughs> Man, what a crazy movie, though. Yeah, it's it just I feel like it shouldn't work, but again, for me, it does. I had um at a birthday party a couple years ago at um. Uh, the Rue Morgue Manor, and um, yeah, we they, they have a big lounge there, and we uh, we watched Pet Cemetery too as part of my birthday party. Yeah, that's a that's good amazing. Party. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I am surprised as anyone to find myself on board with this because I literally was dreading watching it, and I at the best I hoped that I'd find one or two moments that entertained, but I was entertained through the whole thing. That's, I mean, it's so bonkers. It's got that catchy drum beat. That little kitty is so cute. Oh, the kittens. Oh, oh my God. So cute. Oh, I thought cute. you were talking about Edward Furlong. I, think, I thought you said kitty. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. What did, you, what did you think I said? <laughs> no, yeah, that, that little kitten, uh, his his cat that he finds. Yeah. is, yeah. And then they put her in the birdcage in the pet cemetery. She's so cute. Yeah. Yes. Although I did like Stacy did point out something about Edward Furlong on her Insta story last night. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> right? That is my theory is that somewhere in time <laughs> Edward Furlong died and was replaced with Kristen Stewart. <laughs> right? It's the only thing that makes sense. It's like that Avril Lavigne thing where everybody thinks she was killed and replaced with a doppelganger. It's canon. It's canon. Yeah, it's um, canon. If I were Edward Furlong, I'd take that out. I'd just take it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's a glam up. Oh, it sure. 100% is such a kinder <laughs> fate than what, where he's at now. I mean, maybe maybe there are some Ed heads out there or... Uh, oh, God. Uh, ...voracious fans who want to do him a service uh, and uh, go to his Wikipedia page and start changing some things right now. Yeah. <laughs> Saying that he's Kristen Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's uncanny. It's uncanny. I loved him in Personal Shopper. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see him as a Charlie's Angel. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Just Edward Furlong and Elizabeth Banks are Charlie's Angels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The movie's got the gore. There's a lot, oh, of sh- yeah. a lot of shoulder trauma, a lot of yeah. eye trauma. Oh, that, ew, ew, that drill through the shoulder? Yeah. Ew. But it's like, it's not the shoulder, it's like the drill goes through the, the James McAvoy, whatever yes, that is. the memory foam. Yeah, James McAvoy's memory foam, that part of the body. <laughs> yeah, I think those are the traps. Yeah, there's like really sexy traps that he has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> underneath his heavy knit turtleneck he's like three heavy knit turtles <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. he like can't really move his arms because he has so much knitwear on <laughs> so much yeah he's just stiff I, you know what I liked is that the bully was always wearing that fucking scarf. That was ultimately his undoing. But I like that the bully had a scarf on in every scene, including over his Halloween costume. The scarf was the sign of his avarice. <laughs> it led oh, to his undoing. Yeah. 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 A good bully. Like, you know, it's a, I think he was a good bully. Yeah. A lot of good bullies in this. Just you're, you're just a plain old, like... Fuck you, losers! Like the, just a good old fashioned bully. When know? he's on his when he's on his motorbike and he just like slowly rides up next to Edward Furlong, just a very calm <laughs> face. That's <laughs> amazing. Well, I love that one of the reasons they like, kind of like initially like attack him is well, his mom was famous and he and she died. Yeah, so, yeah. Let's yeah. kind of your dead mom, kid. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why did they bury his mom? Why did they? I, cons- I'm assuming they flew her corpse from L.A. or wherever they were filming to oh, Maine. Like Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Budapest, where they have lots of safety standards to overlook their film sets. God, that intro is so incredible. Oh. With the little the skeleton arms. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But I yeah one that. They returned her to her hometown because she wanted to go back there for some reason. Sure. And then the memorial in the school, and it's literally just five magazine covers, <laughs> like a, t- <laughs> a TV guide with the heart around it. <laughs> it was just like adventures and apathetic set design, and I was blown away. <laughs> I mean, don't you hope that, like, one day, should any of us pass away, that a loved one will put our face on a TV guide and just, like, put it up somewhere? Oh, my God. In an elementary school? Yes. <laughs> just randomly. <laughs> oh, oh, and, like, I love, uh, I mean, I love Clancy Brown in pretty much anything. And Oh, Clancy. Yeah. Like, well, the second he shows up in this film and he basically says to Anthony Edwards, like, I used to fuck your wife. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, oh, I, I see. I see what toxic masculinity levels we are dealing with here. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Clancy is, uh, as the sheriff, is shockingly functional compared to the reanimated uh, undead in the original film. 
Yeah, they they do play with the, uh, the uh, pardon me, but they play with the science of the entire burial ground, if you will. Oh, but, they do, Neil. Well, well, I mean, you know, when Lewis and Judd went up there, it took them like all day to get up there. It took forever to bury church, you know, because the ground yeah. was so hard and all that. Pet cemetery too. It's just a fucking parade up and down. <laughs> From town to the pet cemetery and back again. It's like everyone, like Edward Furlong, apparently dug up his mother and dragged her all the way up there by himself. Like you do. And buried her. Like, it just. Well, maybe he had a golf cart. Maybe he had a hover around. Yeah, he had a hover around. He got, he got our sponsorship before he got we our could. Sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. And like Clancy Brown was bringing everybody up there. He even brought the bully up there for some reason. Like, yeah, uh, why? <laughs> Because he needed, like, he needed, like, a little gang. He needed people to, like, fuck up Edward Furlong and, like, I don't know. Oh, he was trying to make his own West Side Story. Yeah. Or (laughs) maybe even a Newsies. Yes! (laughs) Um, It's just, I love, like, this movie is basically, like, at the end of a Jenga game and, like, the tower is swinging back and forth and it's, like, you take out that one piece too many and it just, it, it collapses. It's and yep. it's so I, I love those kind of movies because they're just they're hanging on, um, <laughs> yeah. barely being, uh. um, <laughs> and I just think they're such joyous pieces of culture. Um, and I think this film is also really indebted um, to like the rise of MTV and this kind of like music video stuff. Like just like you guys were talking with the music and the score and everything, um, but also some of the stylistic choices and stuff like that. So I think it's an interesting parallel to see how like a genre film is trying to ape on these other trends and mm-hmm. um, it just like it, the DNA of it feels so different. Like it feels like a much younger film because it's centered around two kids um, rather than, you know, a, a father of two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and there there isn't it's not like there's grieving in it but it really isn't like a grief or a dread no. study no no like, but we don't get just... time to get attached to the mom before like she's fried right at the beginning and we don't even really know yeah. the word for long I, at all i love like it's just it, and it, it was totally fine in the film it's totally fine like back in the day but i just love that she like you know finishes her scene and she sits down lights up a smoke and like the last thing she says is exhaling from the cigarette going i love you and it's just like, oh. it's like 90s like early 90s like trashy thing that i just it's just it's like palpable and it's beautiful it is it is <laughs> it is i think mary lambert really leaned into her music video roots with it just the yeah. style of it in the soundtrack yeah she did yeah you know. Did you know, originally, I was reading, originally, um, thanks to my favorite research tool, Wikipedia, that <laughs> Mary Lambert, I guess they, like, you know, they rushed this to production, like, after the success of the first one, and Mary Lambert was signed on, but originally, she wanted to make it about Ellie Creed mm. as a teenager and follow her, but the studio, like, wasn't into the idea of um, following a teenage girl, and they didn't think that could sustain an audience or a film. Hmm. Which I'm like, well, obviously that's bullshit. Yeah. Um, but at the same, and that's total misogyny. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, thank God it's not Ellie Creed. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I like the way that they did address it, though. Like like Alex said that the family's the Creed family is an urban legend. And then when they get to Ellie, he's like, yeah, she went crazy and she killed the grandparents with a baseball bat or whatever. <laughs> like, Ellie just went nuts and <laughs> out and murdered everybody. Like, like all I'm going to picture now is that horrible little actress just beating people. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Grandpa <laughs> Okay, now I wish that was the secret. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So thank you for uh, forcing me to watch it. Because yeah, I'm glad you you mentioned that you were a bit uh, trepidatious before watching it. But I I figure it's just (laughs) my gut that out of anyone, you would appreciate the kind of trashness of it. So I'm I'm so glad you liked it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I had a feeling that you, Anthony, would just kind of like, I just felt like it would just speak to you. Yeah, sexy, <laughs> sexy Ned Flanders. <laughs> Stupid sexy Flanders. <laughs> I love the uh, the weird right before the credits sequence where everybody who died gets their yes! Yes! portrait uh, on the scene. What? Wait, do I remember that? I, they replay the line where um uh what's the friend's name the, oh, um, the Clancy Brown's kid stepson, yes, stepson. Um, um, Zowie's parental Zowie's guardian dad. yeah yeah Zowie's dad <laughs> he kind like, of looked like Leah Delaria when he was the vampire <laughs> so I was just calling him Leah Delaria when we were watching it. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Uh, (laughs) They replay the dialogue from the film where he says, like, I've never lost anybody near to me or whatever. And Edward Furlong is like, yeah, it sucks. Or whatever. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. And then they superimpose smiling portraits of all of the people in the film who died. Oh, my God. And it's like, it's super corny and weird, but I also, I mean, you know my extensive work on behalf of the victims of horror films getting their due. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, yes. I yes. also, on the other hand, I appreciated it because I feel like victims go overlooked and they're just fodder for our joy in these movies. And there was a shocking amount of them in this one compared to the first yeah, and like the potato truck disaster. <laughs> with, oh my god, the great with potato dad wing. and his mom. Like, it's really weird and just like, did they just die by a potato? And it's like, yeah, they did, but it's also really sad. Like, they're fleeing an abusive man. And well, I, I happened to I, be having dinner um, last night with a friend of mine, and I was telling her I was going to do this podcast where they talk about like Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery too, and she was like, "Fuck, that movie really scared me." And I was like, "It did?" And she she was like, "Yeah, it really like it really fucked me up." Uh, and I was like, "Wow, what part?" Thinking like the drill or the this or the that, and she was like, "You know that part where like the mom and the son get killed?" And I was like, "By the potato truck." Potatoes falling on dead bodies. Some people. Some people like, you know, Alex, it's it's Zelda is your deepest, darkest fear. Others, That's it's true. potatoes. That's, That's yeah. I do love, like, as if the truck wasn't enough, the truck hitting them. Like, usually the next step is the, a giant explosion, explosion right? Yeah. But no, in this, we just get the potato massacre instead. <laughs> 
thudding of the potatoes will haunt my dreams. Yeah, that's it. But it's really, I mean, you know, outside of like this off the rails cheesy horror movie, like it's, I don't know, it's sad. So I was glad when they got their little halo moment at the end there. Oh, do you hear those sirens? That's the potatoes. There's a a potato emergency. (laughs) Who else must die? Yeah, they said the the finale with the people like who passed in the film. It was very like Sears Portrait Studio, and then yes, I'm getting it right. I think um, where they say the line, the voice is dubbed, and then you see all the people who died, and then it's like this tracking shot shot back up to like the Indian burial ground and the drum track again. Yeah, like oh no, it's gonna happen again. (laughs) It's gonna keep happening. No, yeah. Their smiling faces literally are appear in like ovals. Like it's just potato. Oh my <gasps> god, the potato motif. It was the potatoes the whole time. They they orchestrated all of it. <laughs> it was the portrait in the first one. Maybe at the yeah. same yard sale from the floor lamp and the zel- and the other painting, um, <laughs> they got a batch of potatoes. Oh all of all of this is available at Tori Spelling's yard sale. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a chill. Oh, it's so horrifying to even consider. <laughs> wow! Wow! Wait, maybe we'll have to reconvene for the remake. How's that? Okay, deal. Oh yeah. Because you know what? I'm not like, th- that's the thing is I forget about my pet cemetery feelings. And so the remake, I'm like, eh, okay. But the fact that the dude's making it made starry eyes, I'm like, yeah. they, they get the fucking benefit of my doubt. I need they- to watch that again. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll watch it again. I just, here, ugh, maybe I just like, I just want them to CGI Fred Gwynn into it. <laughs> I, I don't. Into trust- starry eyes? Into yes, into starry. I want Fred Gwynn is starry eyes, like a two-pack hologram. <laughs> He's every character. I in the new Pet Cemetery, I have I. It's John Lithgow, right? Yeah. Who I really like, but I like him. But it's just like his line readings. Everything just feels. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe it'll be different when I watch the thing, but oh, uh, and the dad isn't hot. And Tasha, well, okay, it is Amy Simons though, and I love Amy Simons, so I'm excited for her. Yeah, it's not the same Ellie, so there's a plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it'd I be love- weird if it was, because she's probably like 50 now. <laughs> it, it really is orphan too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> But I will say, um, like, one of the things I found that I was really missing from um, um, the novel Pet Cemetery and going into the film was um, the, the kind of depth that Lewis has as a character. Um, and, uh, like, he's, he's kind of like a dick. Like, he's a dick in the book. But you also kind of like him and you kind of understand because you're with him so much. Because uh, he's really, like, narrating. He's, you know, driving the whole narrative book and he's talking mm-hmm. it. and um and you know then you get this kind of super like weak sauce performance by dale midcrypt or whatever differently and i don't know why um but i will say um and, and uh jason clark who's playing lewis in the new one um uh, like a month or two ago i was feeling really under the weather so i came home and laid down and i put on like uh terminator genesis 
um, which is actually like a silly fun movie, but he, Jason Clark plays, um, John Connor in the film and he's, uh, oh. yeah, and he's kind of like a good John Connor and then he's a bad John Connor Ooh. and he was really, really good in it. And it's a very pulpy kind of film, but he really like, he has this kind of weird energy to him. And, um, and I got to do a set visit for the new pet cemetery and, and we interviewed everyone. And when I interviewed him, we did like a, the round table with a bunch of journalists. And when I was, you know, we were all interviewing Jason Clark, I asked a question and he just kind of like locked eyes with me and he's just like really piercing blue eyes. And I just got all like, Oh, Oh, I don't know what to do. You're like, Oh my, is someone oh. wearing layers of mitts in here? Or is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> he just has this like electricity. And I was just like, Oh, but um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I'm very cautiously optimistic for this new one. I'm, I, I hope it does well. And I, I hope it's a good, I hope it's a good time. I say just be optimistic. What's wrong with optimism? Right? Everything. (laughs) I'm checking out as far as watching any more trailers. I'm not watching any more trailers for us. I'm not watching any. I'm done. I'm checking out, man. I will say, yeah. And, and, you know, even if I can't get behind John Lithgow or not Dale Midkiff, like I, 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 do have to say, like, I the one thing that really upsets me about this remake now is just that marketing choice with that new yeah. trailer. Where I'm like, why would you do yeah. that? Why would you? Oh, that could have been such a great surprise. Yeah. yeah. They're making it look like the whole second half of the movie is going to be an army of zombie children. Which <laughs> I'm not opposed to. But, you know. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> as, as long as Jason Clark at some point says, uh-oh... I'll be all right. <laughs> every, time your... I think, every time I think of Dale Midkiff and Pet Cemetery, I just think, uh oh. <laughs> I still just think of all of it. He just constantly falling down in that film, just like tripping, yeah. stumbling, bumping. Oh my God. It's great. Bananas everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Bananas in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Pet Cemetery. There you go. Thank you, Mary Lambert. Thank you. Yeah, Mary Women in Horror Month. We did it. Woo! We did it. We talked about women in horror. <laughs> Yay. We've done our part. <laughs> well, that's all of them. That's Good job, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it kind of nice, though, that we're getting to a point in time, finally, maybe, where it's like, not that Mary Lambert doesn't deserve the credit for this, but it's like, you know, it seems like. If for a long time, it was, ah, oh, it's Women in Horror Month. Uh, make sure you watch Pet Cemetery by Mary Lambert. Make sure you watch Near Dog by Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, uh, yeah. Make sure you watch, you know, there was like four movies that were trotted out on the same fucking lists every year. <gasps> okay. I was at this convention, my favorite horror convention, Crypticon, and we were, I was uh, watching my friends on the Women in Horror panel. And there was this dude, like, probably the same dude that sends us all messages incessantly asking us if we've seen (laughs) Train to Busan. And this guy just keeps asking my friend Amy. He just keeps raising his hand and going, uh, uh, have you you ever seen uh, Near Dark by by Catherine Bigelow? Oh, (laughs) gosh. Horrifying. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, Near Dark is a classic. It's a great film. But oh, it's can, brilliant. But, but, you know, I like, we've talked about it. 
And, yeah. and now there's, there's so many more, more <laughs> stories and uh there's so many i love seeing all the horror anthologies coming out and seeing like how many more women directors are in those too like it's not just one mm-hmm. in each there's yeah. like now there's like like the new um death death simber i saw so many names that i know and love and i'm so excited mm-hmm. yeah it's it's an exciting time and and there's so many new up-and-coming filmmakers and you know they're through vod through streaming services you know we're finding ways to to access them. Um, I know one uh, filmmaker that I'm really excited about, and I haven't even seen her film, um, uh, Issa Lopez, who did Tigers Are Not Afraid. Um, mm. And I know they're still working on like getting a distribution deal, but I've just heard to get it out in North America, but I've just heard the most incredible things about it. So mm. um, I'm very, very excited. And, and it's just, it's really, it's, you know what? I'm just going to say it. it's a cool time to be a horror fan. Uh, it studios is. are taking it seriously. Indie studios are taking it seriously. Uh, true independent filmmakers are finding, you know, avenues to get their stuff to, um, uh, to viewers and to fans. So it's just, it's, it's fucking cool. It, it's really great. Yeah. Wow. I love especially that this era that feels a little golden to me oh. is coming basically on the heels of the dude bro era. Yeah. Like oh. coming on the heels of such a shitty era. <laughs> we, oh. have, we have like diversity happening mm-hmm. on screen and behind the camera like more than ever. And yeah. Yeah. Like Eli Roth has to keep downsizing his houses while Jordan Peele <laughs> wins Oscar. Yeah. So. Yes. Right. I'm into it. Yeah. Here for it. Hmm. Well, Alex, would you? We always end our episodes with a question. Would you like to answer a question with us? Sure, I would love to. See, I, I asked that. that I made it seem like we haven't arranged this beforehand. You see, <laughs> you know, transparency. Stacey, as long as it's an easy question with no kind of complicated, you know, emotional things behind it, I think, yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. The, the hmm. question is Have you seen Near Dark by Catherine Bigelow? <laughs> 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 I'm just going to keep asking until you answer. <laughs> <laughs> No, seriously. This week's question comes from Blacey. No, psych! God damn it! (laughs) I gotcha again. I do love her. (laughs) She's our number one fan. She is. Uh, Okay, actually, this week's question comes from Stefan, who says, Problematic directors, can we still separate the art from the artist when it comes to our beloved horrors now that we're all hashtag woke? Oh. And boy, that's the question, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> that's the well, one. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I, I was kicking this around in my head and I've been kicking this question around um, quite a bit um, for myself as, um, you know, a film fan and critic. And, um, you know, and I'm saying this as someone, and one of my favorite movies is Rosemary's Baby, but. Yeah, I grew up watching Rosemary's Baby. Um, it was hugely formative in, in why I fell in love with horror. And it wasn't until, you know, later on, really, like in my 20s that I kind of knew that was something he did was not good. And that, you know, even later on that I really understood what he did, uh, what Roman Polanski did. And um, it, it, it's been really hard to reconcile that for me. And, and what I can say for me, and I think this is such a personal question, um, is that um, I, you know, 
I've fallen in love with the movies I've fallen in love with and they become part of me. I think, you know, that's true of any film fan or any fan of anything. Um, but what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to support um, filmmakers and creators who I know to, who I know who harm people um, mm. you know, I, and, you know, who do bad things. Like I'm, I'm not going to go see Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm not going to pay for Thank it. Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, I wasn't, you know, I thought the Brian Singer thing, I thought that was already kind of out in the open. And then I, you know, read about the buy erasure that happened in the film. And again, I haven't seen it, um, but I'm not, you know, I think we underestimate our power as consumers. And I think there's, you know, we talk a lot about consumerism as like, we're like zombies or, you know, it's bad and, and all these things. And yeah, we, yeah, it's not always the best, but we can control the media by where we spend our money. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm choosing not to support these people by not spending my money on their projects. And that's like, if someone else wants to do it, that's all good. Um, but it's, that's kind of the choice I'm making for myself moving forward. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of, you know, if you, if you listen close enough, a lot of these people have been talked about for a while as um, predators or abusive or, um, you know, things like that. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to watch or, or hear about like someone like Rami Malek, who's like, I didn't know. Um, yeah. And it's like, ah, I feel like, you know, someone maybe on your team should have briefed you if you didn't know. But yeah. anyway, that's, that's kind of my, that's where I live right now. And, and that could change, but that's yeah. where I that question. Yeah. It's only, it's, it's difficult when it's a filmmaker that I like. Like, it's real easy for me to be like, I'm not supporting anything Victor Salva does ever again. Because yeah. oh, I, I wasn't going to anyway. You know? And fuck Victor Salva while we're on that path. Yeah, no kidding. But when it comes to someone like Polanski, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, am I going to never watch Rosemary's Baby again? Am I never going to watch Repulsion again? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. They're great I've... films, but there's a lot of great filmmakers out there, and yeah. I can live without true. certain things and watch other things. I find myself making excuses a lot. So, like, with Roman Polanski, I'm like, well, that was before everything happened to Sharon Tate, and, you know, maybe, you know, and it's just, like, a shitty excuse. Um, and then I find myself, like, really confused, like, sort of playing the equivalency game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and tr trying to see like okay well I'm not gonna watch a movie by Victor Salva or by fucking Eric England like yeah. that rapist piece of shit like I'm not gonna watch those films but then like at the end of the day like what's the big difference between like you know I, and the same thing with Brian Singer but like I can't bring myself to sell my copy of X2 X-Men United because I love <laughs> Mystique in it so much you know um, or like I, I, I'm probably gonna uh, I'm probably going to go still and see um, Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate in Tarantino's new one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, or like, I'll still want to watch Kill Bill or Death Proof. But like, how how do I justify that to myself? And yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. It makes you feel like, okay, where's the line in the sand that I'm drawing? And what am I willing to accept? Like you said, like, I'm okay with watching Rosemary's Baby, even though I know what he did. But, like, I don't watch any of his newer things, and I certainly don't give him money. I don't pay Yeah, for same. Things, you know, but, you know, but I'm okay enough to watch Rosemary's Baby. Like, it makes you feel well, weird. Well, and <laughs> sometimes, sometimes just calling it out and saying, like, 
Um, you know, I, if I'm talking to someone and I'm and I say, you know what, Rosemary's Baby is one of my favorite movies, and Roman Polanski raped a child. Yeah, those two things can both be true. Um, yeah. and and you know, I think in the kind of denial of one aspect of that, you you miss part of the conversation. And again, I think it's going to change. It's it's going to be complicated and it's going to be murky and. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a really, that's a, it's a good question, but it's a very hard one. Yeah. I think it all, for me, it also matters, obviously, if I want to watch a thing or, or if I already like it or whatever, but what is the subject matter of the film? Yeah. Yeah. Like I can watch Blue Jasmine because Kate Blanchett is fucking amazing in it, mm-hmm. but then Amazon just canceled a Woody Allen movie where it's literally like a 15 year old is posing as a 21 year old and has an affair with Jude Law and it's like come on Woody Allen (laughs) like you know I'm not gonna watch Jeepers Creepers because it feels like a Victor Salva fucking spank reel oh because he's working through his bullshit because he's working through his bullshit you know so I'm not gonna watch that but whereas something like Rosemary's Baby like Roman Polanski has made some great feminist classic films yeah yeah you know, which which makes it almost more difficult and, you know, dirties up the water even more. But it's I'm not watching the story of, you know, someone it's not Lolita or whatever, you know, yeah. well, a friend of mine, uh, Kiva Reardon, who's a programmer at TIFF. Um, I was listening to her on another podcast a few years ago and the subject came up and um, she was taught she was using Rosemary's Baby as an example. And she was like, you know, I believe all these things about Roman Polanski to be true. But I also believe that Rosemary's Baby has transcended being a Roman Polanski film. I consider it a Mia Farrow film. I consider it a film, um, you know, about the you know kind of trappings of second wave feminism and, and things like that. And she's like, it speaks to bigger things to me than. Uh, this one creator and um and i know also for myself like it's it's so indebted to ira levin's book yeah um, like so deeply deeply indebted to it yeah um that that i feel like i'm kind of viewing and like just like you guys were saying i think the gaze of the film is so important in the way um you know gaze can be corrupted and things can be normalized like that's problematic that's what we have to watch out for but you know i i often feel like with rosemary's baby i'm watching something through like an ira levin's gaze or, or something like that so i'm you know it's ugh, hard yeah. it's, it's hard. really mm-hmm. hard it's really really hard yeah. And it always brings me back to the number one question on my head, a.k.a. what do I do with Asia Argento? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's like I was yeah. so obsessed with her. Yeah. I had my body modified to have the same piercing as her. I she thought had a she tag was so on Final cool. Girl. I had an Asia Argento tag on Final Girl. I still have my, next to my copy of X2 in the shame corner, I have Heart is Deceitful Above All Things. Like, you know, it's... Wait, it came up when we covered Mother of Tears. I just, I just want my Ozzy and my Rose back. (laughs) (laughs) I just want them to come back to us. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, where do you, I mean, Ozzy Argento is one thing, but it's like... People like, you know, Kate Winslet has started to say some shitty things. It's like, how, where do you, what line? I think it's oh. personal for every person. Yeah. 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 And like, yeah, I'm, I'm encountering this now where I'm like, okay, what, what, what men want comes is going to be at my theater on discount Tuesday. So like, <laughs> I want to go see it really badly, but like Taraji and Erica Badu both just came out like speaking up in defense of R. Kelly. So I'm like, what do I do with that? And yeah. 
do I just not tell anybody? Do I not check in on Facebook so no <laughs> one knows? Do you wear a wig and like yeah. an eye patch so no one recognizes it's, you? I will say it's easier for me to draw that line with male offenders and with like shitty dudes. But yeah. then, yeah, with like Ozzy Argento, Rose McGowan, uh, even this silly movie, What Men Want, like that's when it's really yeah. hard for yeah, me. Yeah, when is somebody it... you like? Yeah. It was no, it was nothing for me to be like, I'll never see Jeepers Creepers 3. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I'd probably watch A Star is Born before I'd watch Jeepers Creepers 3 anyway, you know. Oh, like, but you know, at the same time, you know who was in that? Meg Foster. I know. Meg Foster was in it and so is Lynn Che. Oh, my two angels! She said some really disappointing things about it when it came out because some someone I'm friends with on Facebook was like he was a victim of sexual assault when he was a child and he was like you know he was voicing his opinion about it like are we're still giving Victor Salva money blah 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 and Lin Shay left a comment that was like you need to get over it oh uh, yeah. well and Rose McGowan did the same thing like when she did Rosewood yeah, Lane with yeah. Victor Salva and she came out and said, like, you know, oh, well, it's not my place to speak about that. He did his time. Um, right. It's in the past. And I'm like, that goes against everything that you've applied to every other person that you've called out. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't understand how we can pick and choose. But ultimately, yeah, yeah that's it's it's a really t- tough line to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. What a downer. What a downer. <laughs> Well, here, I'll ask another question to, to get us. I, just, I feel like I got hit by an emotional truck of potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> that really was. <laughs> the sad potatoes. <laughs> oh, no. Did, well, did Blasey here... leave us another question? Yeah, here's a question. <laughs> Have you seen Near Dark by Catherine Bigel? <laughs> <laughs> I have. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There's the answer. Let, I do I do think our listeners should know we do love it every time we get yes or no questions, which yeah, happens all one, the time. There is one from Andy in Disguise. Here's one we can cover. This is from Andy in Disguise. And the question is, have you seen Burnt Offerings? <laughs> <laughs> what was our what was our Rebecca Gayhart question too? There was some oh, really <laughs> What if Rebecca Gayhart played one of the three mothers in the same manner she did Brenda Bates? Yes. yes. <laughs> Sign me the fuck up. <laughs> I will finance that film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look at that. We covered three questions. Wow. There we go. Good for us. There we we get shit done when Alex is here. Alex gets shit done. Yeah, for real. She really classed <laughs> up the joint. You classed up this joint, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us today, Alex. Oh, uh, thank you so much for having me again. I love Gaylords of Darkness. <gasps> oh, she knows that <gasps> name. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, it's just thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. Thank oh, you. absolutely. Please tell. I mean, obviously, like uh, you're more famous than us. <laughs> tell our uh, tell our listeners I'm not where Stacy. <laughs> What? Sure. I'm definitely not more famous than Stacy. But... <laughs> oh, you're just saying that because you like my curly perm wig. <laughs> oh. Where? So, tell where can listeners yeah, find yeah. everything? Slash, what's next? Slash, all of it. Plug it up, Carrie. 
Plug it up. Oh my god, that's this. That's what this section has to be called. <laughs> Where's our soundboard? <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, if you want to check out uh, Faculty of Horror that I co-host with Andrea Subasati, you can probably find it on whatever you're currently listening to this amazing podcast on, um, or you can check us out at facultyofhorror.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Facebook, um, and for all my kind of more professional stuff and worldly musings, uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, at scare Alex. Um, and what's next? Um, I have an, I have a feature, a couple features in the next issue of Rue Morgue, uh, detailing pet cemetery and the set visit and everything that I did. Um, more goodness with faculty of horror. Um, we'll probably be announcing a, maybe a tour date in the States. <gasps> I live in the States. You do, and it might, it might be in the, the New England area. <gasps> oh! Down the road? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so those are, those are the big things, and um, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, I plugged it up. Plugged it up. Plugged oh, it I, up. Gotta, I gotta plug uh, on the 20th, which I, I don't know when that is the 20th whatever i'm a guest on a podcast called horror queers that's on bloody disgusting it's in their uh podcast network you can find it on places where they're look how good alex was at this and i'm like i'm in a thing on a place <laughs> look at me there email me email me <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm a guest on Horror Queers. They're doing women in horror, and I'm gonna I'm there to talk about the film Lyle. I love that movie. Love that movie. That movie's so fucking good. Yeah, it's a Anthony. I don't know if you've seen Lyle. It's a. Did you notice my silence? It's it's, it's well, not too many people have seen it. It's super duper indie, but it is a lesbian Rosemary's Baby. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking I haven't seen it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I'll yeah. check it out. You talk so, all about it on the podcast. Talk all about it on the podcast, yeah. So check that out on the 20th on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, whatever. Yay! Yeah. Um, and everyone, please, if you enjoyed today's episode, and we know you did, please rate and review us on the iTunes and on the Facebook and every other place where you can hit star ratings and write recommendations. It makes us look cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Alex. It was fun to do a podcast with you. Oh, so fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. For a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, oh, oh my, my god. god! Oh, oh my, my god! god.